Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey Iz. Hi Em. Another week, another Kim and Croy divorce headline. I'm exhausted. Like I actually can't even keep up with these two anymore. No, I'm sorry. This was a real article from TMZ that dropped today, okay? Kim Zolciak is firing back at Croy Bierman, claiming his latest divorce petition is a sham and wants to get it tossed because they're still having a lot of sex. Just need to read you guys this one paragraph. According to court docs obtained by TMZ, the Real Houses of Atlanta alum says she's been repeatedly banging her estranged hubby ever since he filed for divorce from her for the second time in late August. Kim says their latest fooling around session was just a few weeks ago on September 7th. Kim says Croy's claims the marriage is, quote, irretrievably broken is bogus because how can it be broken if they're still doing the deed? She also says the fact that they're still living under the same roof is further proof the whole, quote, irretrievably broken thing is just plain wrong. Croy has filed for divorce twice, most recently on August 24th. And he basically responded to this saying that, you know, them sleeping together is not at all representative of his desire to reconcile. And he really wants to move the kids out of the house into a calmer, more stable environment that he says is, quote, the opposite of their current environment. I feel like you all know, because we've been on this journey together, that from day one, I have been doing my best to just block this out because I was in such denial that the two of them could ever split up. But at this point, it's got to a place where it is so messy and so confusing and what's coming out in the press versus what's on everybody's social media versus what sources are saying and versus the court documents. It honestly is just so on brand for them at this point. Like, I don't know why I thought it would be a clean break. Like, of course it's not a clean break. Of course they're coming back after their second divorce filing saying that they're still hooking up and that they have an exact date and time for the last time they did it. Like what else would we expect from a Kim and Corey divorce? I know we keep saying it, but it is just so messy. Even the, this most recent one says, quote, she stated that she prefers to file for bankruptcy, a move that will ensure that the parties and their children will remain under the same roof for a significant period of time. Without the receipt of equity from the sale of the marital residence, the parties cannot afford to move out of the residence and into new residences. Basically saying they're on very opposite pages about how they want this to play out. You know, From what these read like, it's as though she's holding on for dear life. I just wish we like, could see it play out somehow. Like there's no satisfaction in knowing that, oh, we'll see when it plays out on the show, which I feel like when it came to Lindsay and Carl, when it's come to Scandaval, when it's come to all these different Bravo events, we've just had to be patient. I just feel like the money layer on top of all of this cannot be ignored because it's clearly exacerbating what is already like a really sad dissolution of a family and a marriage. Forget about the fact that we won't see it play out on camera. It's actually the opposite because according to Kim, if you were going to go to her Instagram story, everything is more than copacetic, not only married life, but also in terms of any of her potential monetary issues. Yeah. You know, the last thing that she will ever show us, even when she is selling her designer goods on her Instagram story, she is still trying to maintain the fact that everything is totally fine. Which like, hey, if denial is the way that she wants to play it, who am I to judge her? It's just, it, it feeds 0% into the satisfaction that you're talking about. I mean, day one, before the, even the divorce rumors came, it was the foreclosure of the house. And she was on Instagram stories showing, nope, I'm still at my house. Those silly tabloids love to make up things. Look, here's my fresh flowers from Croy. I mean, she is the master of the facade. Absolutely. And it has just continued. So of course we will keep you guys posted. And you know, we've kind of paused on reading some of the headlines in the interim, but this one just felt wild enough that we had to break it down here. I also want to say since our last episode, 
Lindsay went on what would have been her bachelorette trip. Her and her friends decided, you know what, fuck it. We had this whole trip planned and we're going with it anyway, which I think was such a, a power move and honestly such a nice way for her friends to kind of rally around her. And they did the damn thing and looked like they had a lot of fun doing it. They really did. And I feel like she seemed to be in good spirits. It was her closest people to her around her. And I don't know, I like just kind of switching the narrative because it's probably what her soul needed. And like, so what? It was marketed at first as her bachelorette trip. Now it's just like her healing fun trip, a place to just let loose with her friends. And like, I'm into it. Yeah, she posted with all of her friends and the caption was, I didn't know this amount of love could exist in one photo. I feel completely overwhelmed by my best friends and their friendship, love, and strength. The way these girls have rallied around me the last three weeks, held my hand, sat in showers and cried with me, picked me up, never left my side, never let me feel alone, and then took me on a trip that was originally planned for completely different reasons, and yet still carried on with this trip because it became more important. I'm beyond blessed and thankful for every single one of these girls. This is a story about sisterhood and I could not do life without them. You know what? That is prime example to me of like finding a silver lining in this whole thing of when women need to show up for one another, they fucking do. Yeah. I mean, it should be noted that Danielle was on the trip front and center. Also Sam, Gabby Prescott, and then Jacqueline, who was on Summer House season one, if you can even remember that long ago. But it just was like, it was just nice. You know, I feel like we needed to see a little bit of light come from Lindsay because obviously we have not really been hearing from her for the last few weeks. So this felt this felt good. The next day, so today on Tuesday, a headline from Us Weekly came out basically saying that Carl didn't plan for the split and that they had tried couples therapy. It said, quote, they'd actually seen a counselor, but Carl didn't think it was a good way to start their forever together, the insider says, telling us that, quote, Carl had major fundamental issues before the wedding and wanted to take an honest look at them. One of the toughest tests for the former couple stemmed from Radke's sobriety, per The Insider. Quote, sobriety was a big issue for him, the source adds. Lindsay had become sober, but then incorporated drinking back into her lifestyle. She was sober from the end of 2021 to spring of 2022 to show solidarity for Carl, who had been alcohol-free since January 2021. While he exclusively told us in February that he, quote, fully supported Hubbard, quote, having a glass of wine with her aunt or having a lover boy with whomever, his feelings seemed to have changed with time. Quote, he was nervous about their future together without figuring things out, the source says, noting, quote, things were not resolved between Carl and Lindsay as the wedding was approaching. It then talked about the actual breakup that was filmed and basically saying that his intention wasn't to break up with her. He just wanted to address some of their issues and that the whole thing went south. It said, quote, it wasn't supposed to be a breakup, but it escalated. Since pulling the plug on their romance, Radke and Hubbard, quote, haven't spoken, the source says, but the exes have communicated via text through friends as things had to be dealt with around the wedding fallout. Which I feel like is an element that was kind of under-discussed in all of this because obviously everyone's shock was around the fact that they broke up and the wedding was called off. What you don't think about is there's all of these logistics that go into play with canceling a wedding. And on some level, they had to be in communication to coordinate that. So here they're saying, you know, they were in communication, but through friends, which if you look at Tom and Ariana, similar kind of thing, they were kind of communicating through other people. It's like how that goes down is always very interesting because not communicating isn't really an option in a situation like this. Yeah, I'm sure for both... Ariana and Lindsay, they wish they could just like delete the number and move on with their lives and not have to deal with it. But there are a lot of pieces to be picked up. So for Ariana, we saw it. It was the house. It was the mortgage. It was the pets. I mean, everything, business deals. Like there's so much admin that goes into a relationship like that. And I'm sure for Lindsay and Carl, it's a lot of the same. I mean, they have an apartment together. They have business ventures and they are on a show together. So like that clearly is going to bring them back together plenty. And just like having a destination wedding, there's so much. I can't imagine having to go through all those steps on top of the heartbreak and just probably wanting to sit in your bed all day. So I'm glad that they had people, I guess, who know both of them well enough and can be sort of in the middle. I just, I mean, this is something I am so curious to watch play out because I feel like we're hearing all these things slowly come out through sources and people, but until we hear it from them and the true reasoning and also like from Lindsay's POV, because as she kind of not so subtly hinted at in her post, she was blindsided and this was way more of his decision than hers to just completely call it off. And like, I just want to hear literally everything. 
That is exactly what I was going to say. I want to hear literally anything that they will give us. Because honestly, the thing that I'm the most curious about is like, what was the timeline from him having these concerns and then him voicing them to her? Which I know sounds kind of accusatory in nature. I don't necessarily mean for to. I just feel like sometimes in heterosexual relationships, when men have issues, at times they don't voice it and they kind of just wait. And then it ends up being very jarring for the women because they don't know how to do it and it ends up becoming this very selfish thing. I'm not necessarily saying that's what went down here, but I am so curious. Like, what was that in between? Like, was it something he was solely processing internally and with his therapist and with his friends? Or was it something he was voicing to her and she just didn't want to hear it? Like, that is the part, if you ask me, that I'm the most curious about. It's that. And the fact that they were in counseling. So how does that come into play? Because there is some sort of communicating going on that they needed counseling or the therapy, which is like totally fine. But I don't know. I feel like that gives you an open book to talk out the issues. And it just seems like maybe they were not really getting to the root of some of these issues in the therapy. I just cannot believe we were about to watch all of this play out. Honestly, it feels like something we should not be getting. No, it's like, it's too much, but I am so, so ready to see. Okay. So one thing about me, I'm going to get my food delivered. It kind of just falls under the general umbrella of convenience, which as we know, is a core principle of my life. And I've been a DoorDash user for a while now, as I'm sure many of you are, but I specifically want to talk to you about DashPass because it's kind of really the way you get the most from delivery, which as a side note, if you use code CBC24, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. But let's zoom in for a second on what DashPass is. Basically, it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door. So it's helping you save money and time with every DoorDash order. And number one, $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. So it makes it really easy to save on groceries, retail items, restaurants, all of your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. And then this is the thing that really sold me. DashPass pays for itself on average in two orders. So it makes delivery even more worth it. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for only $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today only on DoorDash. Use code CBC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, term supply. I would say this whole episode of Southern Charm was good, but the last couple of minutes with Taylor and Olivia was really something. That was like the bomb drop I wasn't really expecting. I feel like the whole episode was sort of this buildup of getting everyone's understanding of what they believe is going on with Taylor and Austin. And then this sit down with Taylor and Olivia, like I feel like came out of left field with what she said because everyone was so focused on this one sleepover and like if they've hooked up or not. But this this felt almost like even more than if they had hooked up, you know? Well, I think because going into this conversation from Olivia's perspective, probably her worst case scenario was that it got physical and even they had some sort of a drunken hookup. Meanwhile, according to Taylor, it didn't get physical, but something more serious happened in that they had a legitimate conversation about evaluating if there's potential here for a real relationship, which I think is like, from Olivia's perspective, just not at all what she was expecting. And you're right, probably in the scheme of things, like a little quote worse. Right. Like in that moment, even Taylor keeps saying, I swear, like my hand to God, we never hooked up. Nothing ever happened. We never even kissed, like really insisting that. But she had just dropped the bombshell that there was a conversation or a day or a moment where she really was considering it and that she had had conversation with her brother. Austin had taken it to his sister, that it was something that both of them legitimately like I guess we're interested in and considered and we're able to see each other in that light. And I think masking it with the, we never touched, we never hooked up. Maybe she thought would soften the blow, but it ended up being that the truth was like way worse than I guess what anyone had been picturing. Because I think they all think of Austin as like, oh, they hooked up. She slept, she was drunk. She slept over at the house. They had some like drunken hookup and Austin has a crush on her, but never that they like, really had these serious considerations. I was not expecting that either. And I am the first one to say, like, I think that they really do have some sort of connection and like each other, but I did not see that coming. Did you? 
I did not expect her to say that. No, I mean, I think also you have to keep in mind the the context in that, like who we're dealing with here. Meaning if she really had said, you know what, things got really messy one night. It's a little bit blurry, but we did hook up. Yeah, if you're Olivia, that sucks. But this is a cast where that happens all the time. Everyone has hooked up with one another at one point. I actually think if you're Olivia, that's almost an easier pill to swallow because it's been so normalized. Whereas a sit-down conversation where you're both consulting with your family members about whether or not this could be your person. Yeah, I think that that uh, caught her off guard for a second. I mean, I, I have to, I guess, give it to Taylor for being honest. She didn't have to share that with Olivia. No, it clearly was weighing on her. And then also this became more about their friendship and trust and lying than about what actually happened with Austin. So I feel like Taylor had to get that off her chest and be like, that's the only thing that's ever happened. When to me, that's like a pretty serious thing to happen. And I feel like, I I don't know what the aftermath of this looked like, but am I wrong? Like I have to like, I guess do a little more research Were Olivia and Austin in that serious of a relationship? I know it doesn't technically matter. And of course, she's allowed to be as upset as she is and like feel this connection to Austin. Like they definitely had something serious because Shep and Taylor were basically engaged. And Olivia and Austin, I felt like it was like a relationship, but nothing that I was taking so seriously. And now here we are and they're comparing their breakups and the heartbreak. And even Austin is like, getting upset that Olivia's seeing other people. It's just like sort of not adding up to me. Okay, I was going to say to you, I don't know, like genuinely, I don't know if we are fair judges on this because I agree with you. I also lean to feeling a little bit confused by this because I don't think I ever gave their relationship maybe the seriousness that they did or maybe some could say that it deserved and like that could totally be a me thing. So yes, from my lens, I feel like we're comparing apples and oranges here. However, that aside, it's still her feelings, whether they were dating for a week or they were dating for six months, you know? So I I totally get her reaction while at the same time, I don't view their relationship at all in the same way that it's being communicated to us. Yeah. I mean, she's totally valid in her feelings, but it's kind of funny like to watch this episode now backwards. Like I'm looking back at everything I was thinking in the beginning of the episode and it was really everyone dissecting this night that the boys had where the bombshell was dropped that she slept over at Austin's house. And I was, I really agreed with her. Like, and I still do. She, you're allowed to have good guy friends. You're allowed to have these close relationships. Everyone knew they were good friends. But now seeing Taylor sit at that lunch when Madison says, I just think Austin's in love with you. And she's like, no, 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 no. I was like, yeah, okay, maybe no. But now it's like, well, that wasn't really that far off. Just a side note for a second, that scene when they're at Vanita's house, I was thinking to myself while watching it, this is so representative of the crossover culture we constantly talk about with Southern Charm and that here you have a group of five women and three of them are some version or some level of an Austin ex. So here you have Madison, Austin's very serious ex, asking Olivia, his most recent ex, if she thinks that he is in love with Taylor, aka Shep's ex, and Austin's friend with maybe something else going on. And like, here they are having a, a joint conversation about it. Meanwhile, the the crossover is so intense that it, you almost get lost in that for a second. And then when you take a step back, you're like, holy shit. No, it's so holy shit. It's just, I guess like the underlying of the show. So here we are so shocked that there's going to be some crossover, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're actually going through the motions and seeing the hurt involved and how you get from A to B and how these crossover relationships really come to be, you're like, oh, fuck, this is like, this is some shit. I mean, this cast takes layer to a whole new level. But my question here with this Taylor Austin situation is like, you know, here we were led to believe that this was the big buildup. And then when the big buildup happens, she basically confesses that nothing physical happened, although they did have thoughts about whether or not this could be something. What happens from here? Like, what's the next thing? You're right. We're only on the third episode of the season. This is like a a mid-season trailer shit where it's like, oh, here we go. This buildup that we've been waiting for, we finally have some answers. Like now, where do we go? Because now Olivia is in charge of this information. Like she has it and she's not going to try and hide it. She's going to tell everybody that the follow-up. Honestly, where my head's at on this is that 
there's no way that two people who have had this solid of a friendship and have acknowledged some attraction to one another have this conversation. So they're sitting down, they have out loud acknowledged that there could be something there or like at least acknowledge that it's not the craziest thing ever, that it's not as though they're brother and sister and that even crossing that line would be something they would never even think of. I don't think that once that has happened, you can entirely go back and maybe I'm wrong, maybe with them it can. I guess in my own experience that that feels unlikely. And so I guess I'm curious, like what kind of goes on with them from here? Because I just can't imagine that after this conversation, everything goes back to zero romantic involvement. Like if you were to ask me now, September 27th, 2023, what's the current status of Taylor and Austin? I would say that they have certainly slept together. That's just my feeling. For sure, but also they can do as many scenes as they want of them getting IVs and putting on eye patches and just saying how good friends they are. But once you have that conversation, even if you move on, nothing happened, like there will always be that small cloud following you and a thought in the back of your head that like we've gone there and there was at some point some mutual feeling and that we felt it too. And there was a connection and we were going through things together. Like I don't know how you continue. And by the way, now when the rest of the group knows it, they all will have that little voice in the back of their head. Like it will stick with everybody probably forever. What's kind of funny about this is I know we haven't seen Shep's reaction to this particular piece of information, but we did see Olivia's and she was genuinely really upset. You see her go to her car and kind of break down. I think that she felt totally rocked by this specifically because of you know, the intro to this season of showing her and Taylor's friendship and how close that they have gotten and really feeling as though they can lean on one another unconditionally. So I think if you're Olivia, you feel as though the rug was pulled out from under you and you're taking a second to readjust. Meanwhile, Shep, who was in a relationship with Taylor far longer than Olivia was in a relationship with Austin, I actually think would be or will be significantly less phased by this than Olivia because of the way that Shep views Austin. Nothing to do with them necessarily as people, although that plays a role, but like Olivia's view of Taylor is far higher in terms of how she thinks of her as a human being than the way that Shep thinks of Austin as a human being. So I actually think from Shep's POV, yes, maybe there would be the element of surprise from when it comes to Taylor, but when it comes to Austin, I don't really feel as though that would shock him. Yeah, I almost feel like the Taylor element will be way more his focus also. Like he doesn't expect that much from Austin. Like the bar is so fucking low. But from Taylor, I think to think that the reality of her moving on is real and present, but also that she has feelings for Austin and they had been such good friends throughout their relationship. Like that's definitely going to make him spiral a little bit. And oh, that's why I fucking love the show because I am curious what every single person thinks about yeah, this. Like, exactly. what are, like how's Madison going to take this? How's Leva going to take this? How's Manita going to take this? Because we just saw them all having a conversation. How is Craig going to take it? Like, it's, I want to know exactly how Shep feels about Taylor and also how he feels about Austin. And then how, like, it's just everything. I, I'm so excited. And I, you're right. This being episode three of a season and them not dragging this out, just means that there is so much content and so many conversations to be had. And like, that's why this show is superior. I'm locked in and very curious to see how this plays out. When on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters, so you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer-dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer-dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
Something I always think about when watching Salt Lake City is when I see Mary, who is just so firm in her stance of not participating in anything she doesn't want to participate in, what is that like as another housewife watching Salt Lake City and being like, wait, I don't have to do this shit? Right. Like, wait, we can do that. You can just sit back, not go to the group activity and order yourself a double shot oat milk latte or have the sprinter van take you through McDonald's drive-thru while you wait for everyone to come back from fighting. Right. Like if I'm the producers, I don't want any other housewife watching that because who wouldn't want to do that? You're going to tell me you wouldn't rather be driven around in a sprinter van and get like fries and Chick-fil-A sauce. I mean, that's the dream. That's exactly. And can I be honest with you? I don't know what anyone else thinks about this. I am so team Lisa Barlow in terms of this whole glam thing. Fuck that. Okay, here's the way I feel. I feel like I can totally empathize with her because I think this can stem from a much, much deeper place. It's not just about being like spoiled or snobby or whatever about having your glam. It's about yourself and your image. And I think I was saying this to you before, like we forget that these people are on television, on national television. Like think about how nervous you can be walking into a wedding or a reunion or like the grocery store where you might bump into someone. Okay. Now put that on the, the most giant scale. Like I just think you're allowed to want to have control over how you look and what makes you feel comfortable. That being said, I do think that there was like a middle ground of Whitney saying, okay, we're doing this fun activity, take off your makeup and her breakdown. Like, I think there, we could have compromised. You could have left on your makeup. No one was coming to check, add a little glitter and call it a day. You know, it's not like Meredith did anything revolutionary. She wasn't so far out from her regular glam. But I also think for Monica, her argument about the ring and about her feeling like Lisa Braggs this was just like served to her on a silver platter, feeling like it furthered her argument when like maybe on a surface level it did, but I also felt like, no, you have to really dig deeper and understand that there's a lot more going on there. It's not just to show off that you're able to afford and can fly out your favorite makeup artist. Well, I mean, if I'm Monica, Lisa's breakdown almost feels like she's a paid actor to further my point, because as you're saying, it it did feed beautifully into the point that she's been making. I just, in my mind, and maybe it's giving Lisa too much credit, I separate the two a little bit for all of the reasons that you said. And also like, this kind of goes back to the Jenna Lyons thing. I just really think everyone should be able to be their most comfortable, specifically when they're traveling. And you know what? If having your makeup artist there to do your makeup is going to make you feel the best and make you the most excited about the trip, then go for it. Because at the core of it, what's going on here is that Whitney and Lisa have very different ideas of fun. And (laughs) that's not Lisa's fault necessarily. Yeah. It's not even just while traveling though. It's while traveling and you have cameras in your face that will be broadcast on international television for the rest of time. Like think about that pressure. It's a lot. That's what I'm saying. I just think that Lisa and Whitney fundamentally are very different and like, that's okay. But Whitney doesn't allow it to be okay sometimes. Here's my thing with Whitney, generally speaking on this trip and specifically this episode. In terms of what she's saying regarding Meredith, and we kind of spoke about this last week where you know, Meredith gets pressed on something and immediately she deflects by bringing up other issues that are completely separate, yet she feels trumps everything. And Whitney's totally right in that. I adore Meredith, but she factually does that. Even Heather tonight on Watch What Happens confirms that she does. It's, it's very obvious, specifically when the producers put together a whole reel of it. You can see that's kind of her MO. That being said, That can exist and be frustrating as someone who's on a cast with her. And also she cannot put on a wig and there can be nothing wrong with that. It's like, I hate feeling like Whitney's annoying, but she was kind of annoying me a little this episode. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I think you feel like you want everyone to participate and get into it, which like I totally understand. But is that really the biggest issue we have going on here? You know, like there's bigger fish to fry. And I feel like it was just her way to take a little bit of power back and like reprimand the women for not listening or, or being team players or being fun. And it was like, okay, but also like, let's, let's talk about the real shit. (laughs) I just like, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't go there. I just can't go there also because yeah, I don't blame her. I don't want to put that heavy wig on my head if I have a headache either. And like, leave me the (laughs) fuck alone. I I just so fundamentally cannot relate to being upset with someone that they don't want to do something that genuinely impacts you 0%. Whether or not Meredith is wearing a wig changes your life 
0.0. It, it can't be the thing that's getting you the most bothered. We got to have a bigger issue. If everyone opts in and is like, yeah, we're going to like do this full force. We know what's coming at us. It's not a surprise. Like, fine. You can be disappointed in your friends for not showing up. Like if it's your bachelorette party and you give everyone a warning of a theme and you really are into it and it's very important to you, like, okay, fine. I'll, you can be the Whitney, you know, it can upset you a little bit. But like, this was just like so unimportant. And also like you're in these amazing Trixie wigs having fun and like you had other people do it with you. Just like soak that up. You know, it was like a five minute production. Just let it let it be what it will be. But again, they're filming a show. They need the content and like, fine, let them look lame. If they look lame, then that's on them. I'll tell you right now, if I'm Angie Kay and I have a little bit of a history with this group, obviously she's been on the show a little, not in the capacity of a full housewife, but at least in the friend of previously. And I know that Monica is coming on and joining the cast. I probably feel like I have a leg up. You know, I, I think that she probably felt very confident going into this season about where she would be positioned in the group, specifically comparatively speaking to Monica. And I just think it is not going down in the way that she expected, not only from the women perspective, but also from the viewer perspective. I feel like generally people are more fans of Monica than they are of Angie. I just think Angie is really trying too hard and it's just not working out. Like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And like, you know what? I don't think it's the easiest thing to balance. Like I, I, I get it. I understand why one would try too hard. You, you watch enough housewives and you think that that's kind of what you have to do. And there's no perfect formula for what makes a housewife hit or a housewife miss, but it just happens and you just kind of know. And I just think for this particular season, it's not her best. And maybe she can turn it around, but in this moment, we just got to give her some grace. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not happening. Like I, I, I say that kindly, but something's not working. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that she thinks the bigger the sunglasses, the more of a serve, and and that's not what's happening. Right, right. This segment of CBC Hotline is brought to you by Metro by T-Mobile. Hi guys. Since all this talk about Heather leaving and joining Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I was wondering what housewives from other cities could make a crossover, kind of like Taylor did. I mean, if I were really to think about this and we wrote every single person out, we had like brackets and we really took this seriously the way that guys take, you know, fantasy football draft, I'm sure we could come up with some insane combinations. Where my mind immediately went when hearing that question which is kind of low stakes in the scheme of things. But honestly, this most recent episode of OC where Taylor's, you know, saying to Heather, my friends are worth da, da, da. It made me think like, is there a world in which Taylor could be back on Beverly Hills? <laughs> She's just so good, I guess. You can just kind of put her anywhere. She was so good on Ultimate Girls Trip too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I find her to be very transferable. So I know it's not the craziest one. She's already been there, but I'm just saying I, that one's not totally out of the question for me. God, I have so many. I feel like Candy could really thrive in Beverly Hills because she's just like so successful and in that industry, that could be really fun. I'd like to see Candace on New York, like this new cast, because I think they're like young and fun and she would really appreciate the vibes. Well, like, okay, I'm not necessarily saying I'm a fan of this as an idea, but it's been thrown around a lot and I kind of just want to throw it out there, see how everyone's feeling about it. People really think there is a world in which like two years down the line, Lindsay Hubbard is on Housewives of New York, which I'm not saying I want that. I'm just trying to get a general temperature check on how everyone feels. No, I don't hate it. I also would, I mean, you could put Portia literally anywhere, but I feel like in Potomac, I would just die to have a little Portia Karen Huger moment. I just know that would be like content gold. Portia on Potomac would be unbelievable. Like, yeah. Especially Portia and Giselle have a relationship. You know, they did. Right. Th yeah. I, that, oh my God, that'd be something. You know, it's so much more fun to think about a question like this after Ultimate Girls Trip has come into our orbits because it shows you, not that we didn't think it was feasible before, but it shows you just the way in which pairs you wouldn't necessarily think would vibe, vibe in like such a way. Where can we put Meredith Marks? Honestly, anywhere. Yeah. Honestly, Miami. <laughs> like maybe I just love Miami, but like wouldn't you love to see Meredith with Alexia and Marisol? I feel like I don't know if Meredith could handle it. And I say that loving her. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think... She, it's, it's one thing to be the top dog in Salt Lake City. It's a whole other beast to be the top dog in Miami. 
Lisa Barlow could do really well in OC. Totally, totally. I also think Monica, the new housewife on Salt Lake City, totally gives me Jennifer Aiden vibes. Mm. And just like her personality, she would she would fuck up a Jersey reunion. I think the thing with Monica, at least from what we've seen so far, is that while being a rookie, she's not afraid to really speak her mind. And specifically coming into a cast like Jersey with Teresa and a lot of other OGs that I think feel a sense of ownership it would probably be interesting to see her come in and be relatively unafraid. Don't you think Dolores and Giselle could be like an insane dynamic duo? Too powerful, too powerful. Like they actually couldn't be on the same cast because I think it would just break our TV screens. Honestly, you know, you could put Dolores in a lot of different places, really, now that I'm thinking For about sure. it. For sure. I mean, she's very Jersey, very Jersey, but I, I think that her personality type with the right cast could really work. We haven't seen her yet on an Ultimate Girl Ship, right? No, but she would be incredible. I also think my last one is Cynthia Bailey on OC. I think because she goes on Tamara's podcast a lot. So I get to see that dynamic with Teddy and like just how they vibe. Cynthia is also someone who could go anywhere. She also could be amazing on Beverly Hills. People generally speaking, find her like pretty boring and they wouldn't want to pluck her up and move her somewhere else. But I just think because of the amount of discussion we've had on how exhausting of a storyline Teresa and Melissa is, I wonder what it would be like if you brought Melissa somewhere else. I think that in a setting that isn't so dominated by the Teresa of it all, she could thrive in a way that we haven't necessarily seen yet. For sure. I think that's, again, beauty of Ultimate Girls Trip. But wow, I could think of these for days and also could build Ultimate Girls Trip cast. But if you guys think of a really good one, please DM it to us and we'll see what other combinations everybody comes up with. Thank you to our sponsor, Metro by T-Mobile. At Metro by T-Mobile, there's not a yada yada, which means wireless without the gotcha. I would like to get into New York and Orange County this week because I think they were both kind of heavy episodes in a weird way. Like it was just kind of a lot happening. And I did see a lot of parallels in terms of the storyline of everyone not ganging up, but taking their issues out on one person and one person having issues and then everyone's sort of riding the bandwagon of, oh yeah, also this, also this, and just really focusing on that person's downfalls. And no matter how you feel about the person, in this case, it was Erin and Heather, it is sometimes hard to watch. And I feel like I want to talk about these types of episodes because I think that there's always one a season on pretty much every show that goes a little something like this. Right. But the difference here is that for Erin, it was a one episode thing. And as you could see, it was really getting to her. For Heather, it's kind of been the whole season. I know. And Heather has been handling it so unbelievably gracefully. Like it is not easy to be on the receiving end of that, especially from people who you really thought were your friends. And I mean, Tamara is a fucking tough competitor. Tamara's vicious. Yeah. Like that is hard. Tamara is so unwilling to put like humanity or friendship above the show. Actually, I'll go as far as to say even to put it equal to the show. You could tell at this party, Heather was so not in it. Like she really wasn't trying to go there with Tamara and she was communicating that energy. And Tamara wanted to get her riled up so badly for the purpose of making good TV. And the fact that Heather wasn't giving it to her, I think was deeply bothersome because Tamara relies on getting people pissed off and then having the inevitable fallout filmed. like That's kind of her MO. And Heather just wasn't going there. The, the energy that I would say if I had to use one word that Heather was giving was just like exhausted by it all. And I don't blame her. I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out because you know when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear and it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still, to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out. But one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are 
amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So the way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings on to us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. I also think you have to take a step back and realize Heather is only going to these places such as bringing up Tamara making that comment about Emily's career because everyone's going there first. It's like, yes, they're low blows. Yeah, bringing Tamara's podcast, like Tamara's not going to like that, but she's using it as proof. It, I, oh, the podcast, I do want to talk about that because when they played the full clip in the second half of the episode, you hear Teddy and Tamara say, oh, it's an inside joke between us. Like maybe they were imitating Heather because when Heather plays the clip at lunch with Gina, she leaves that part out and she's like, see, Teddy's saying that Tamara's the one that said it. Like there's definitely some miscommunication going on there. And I feel like that will definitely be something they touch on at the reunion in saying, like for Tamara to say to Heather, this isn't the amazing proof you think it was because we were actually making fun of you. Like I, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true, but I just think her bringing those receipts was like, there was something going on there that wasn't right. The way that I feel about this entire OC situation is honestly, housewives aside, just in any relationship in life, you can view someone through whatever lens you want to view them. So if you are really committed to seeing the best in a person, you can most likely get there. Most people have enough redeeming qualities that if your goal is to view them positively, you can figure out a way to do that while still having your issues. From where I sit, I feel like Tamara and Shannon don't really want to see the best in Heather. I still think that Gina does. I think Emily on some level does, although she's a little bit internally conflicted. But I truly feel that Tamara and Shannon would rather view Heather negatively than view her positively. And if that's your goal, it's very easy to substantiate those claims because that's what you're solely focused on. you know. And so it, it's, I don't know, I guess that's kind of, if I'm Heather, that's where I feel that I'm at with them of like, What's really the point in trying? Because they're only going to focus in on anything negative. Totally. They are past the point of facts and actual feelings and just sort of going towards this goal of theirs, like whether it's conscious or not. I just felt like, like also this whole thing about Heather calling them losers. First of all, I totally agreed with what Heather said of like how quick you are to believe it. You know, that says a lot about how you view me as a friend, but also like what a weird thing to literally have this huge blow up fight about (laughs) when she keeps repeatedly saying, I'm talking about Noella, which like for anyone that has watched the show or anyone that knew Noella, like it kind of adds up. That's what I'm saying. They're grasping at straws here. But again, I think specifically when it comes to Tamara and Shannon, they really have this thing in their head of like, she can't break us no matter what she can't break us. And I... And some could say that we're giving her way too much credit. And if that's your opinion, that is totally respected. But I just don't think Heather gives enough of a fuck about coming in between Tamara and Shannon. I think she doesn't want to be excluded by them, but she doesn't get any enjoyment out of being the thing to cause a wedge between them. Heather has a very full life. She's got a lot going on. She does not need to fill her days by figuring out how to get Tamara and Shannon to not get along with one another. I I don't know. I just feel as though they're creating this whole thing that doesn't really exist. It's like she doesn't care to. And also, she's not trying to get involved in that mess. Like, you think she's going to have all these receipts and like leave a trail of breadcrumbs of her trying to specifically break up their relationship and have the wrath of... Shannon and Tamara, like that sounds just absolutely miserable. She wants to be good with everyone. And I think everyone is just annoyed with how Heather naturally is and makes a fight out of it. And like, it's just, it's becoming unenjoyable to watch. And that's, I think I can separate myself from loving Heather to 
just being frustrated with these women that they're really, really grasping at straws, like you said. Well, I feel like a really prime example of this was the situation with Jen and Taylor when it came to Heather, because they were, and understandably so, annoyed that they kind of changed their whole plans around for her, and then she never ended up coming back to the room. And you're watching this play out tonight when it's the first time they're confronting her about it, and Taylor is just coming at her guns blazing, to which she has no idea that this is even a point of upset, because this is the first she's hearing of it, whereas Jen just wanted to express it and then move on from it. But Taylor's goal wasn't resolved. Taylor was very drunk and wanted to just come at her for what she had was a lot of pent up anger and a feeling as though Heather doesn't really give a shit about them. And she's kind of doing her own thing. Whereas I felt like Jen was genuine in wanting to voice this upset and then move on from it. And like, it was one small example, but it kind of does illustrate two different approaches to like handling someone. If you want to believe that someone is just this selfish person who doesn't really give a shit about you, then of course her saying she fell asleep means nothing. If you're somebody that wants to express your hurt while also not like writing them off as a human, then you're going to hear what they have to say. It was just like two totally different approaches to the same issue. I just loved everyone adding in like their pile on on Heather and Taylor just cannot stop talking about the chicken noodle soup. (laughs) Like... It was so specific and funny and Heather falling asleep and having a picture and Taylor was upset because they were meeting their stepdaughter out and she was like, why didn't you just go? Or like, come knock on my door. Like the idea of them just all sitting around waiting for Heather to finish her cup of chicken noodle soup and not even calling or checking in to see when when she'd be back. It's just, it's hilarious. Like you're totally allowed to be upset and feel like you were abandoned or that Heather didn't acknowledge that it was really nice of them to stay in and hear her out because neither Taylor or Jen are really her best friend. They did that because they felt bad and they didn't want to be on the mean girl side. So yes, that is nice. And I think, Maybe they wanted a little pat on the back for that. But like, I mean, Taylor just going around with the chicken noodle soup was just killing me in the dress and the whole thing. Well, it's because the I think the issue of like just with that particular scenario, even though obviously it was very comical in nature, it's like if you want to view Heather through the lens of someone that doesn't give a fuck about the little people, this is an anecdote that fits in beautifully to that. And so Taylor took that and she ran with it. She didn't want to even consider another reality. The idea that Heather just fell asleep was so much less appealing because that that doesn't feed into the idea of Heather she wants to have. That doesn't feed into the Heather that she thought was very dismissive to her at the acting lesson. Whereas Jen was really trying to view this as an isolated incident. So it's like, I, I don't know, I guess I just feel with Heather that the way she's viewed by so many of them, there's very little room for this type of a fuck up because this type of a fuck up if you're Taylor, is such substantial evidence to support your overall claim that she kind of just sucks. And they are able to so easily kind of manipulate any narrative to fall into that category. But this was just like handing, like like it's like Monica and Lisa Barlow handing it to her on a silver fucking platter. Right, exactly. I guess the way that I felt about the New York of it all, get me home. <laughs> yeah, like... I, there's not a place in the world, if I'm Aaron, that I want to be less than in that hot tub in Anguilla with everyone piling on on me. Just like, and I'm not even saying that what they were saying was necessarily wrong. I get it. Everyone's allowed to have their frustrations. But if I'm her, I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. The way I felt about this New York episode was like, I felt like I was kind of starting to have an understanding of the dynamics of the group and like who's really friends the alliances, who really is getting each other and who's fighting. And this literally flipped it on its head because it's like, wait, Bryn and Aaron hate each other, but then they love each other, but then they hate each other. And Uba and Aaron are best friends and now they're the ones fighting the most. And like Bryn and Jenna are like making out with each other. And then Aaron and and Bryn are like, I just, I, I was most confused when all of a sudden like Jenna is leaving with Aaron and I'm just like, didn't Aaron just shit all over you last week for the flying first class thing? I just have never been so fucking confused. And I think it's because literally they don't even know. I was going to say, yeah. But that's also why there's that much conflict because it's almost like they have nothing to lose. Like I do believe there are genuine friendships there, but there's nothing to lose. So when Bryn hears something or anyone hears something, it's so easy for them to just jump on and be like, oh, you said that? And pile on because it's not like there's so much layered history there and like these deep alliances. It's sort of like whatever is in the moment, it's very surface level. It's like 
either a topical issue or no issue at all. Well, when Aaron and Uba are having their thing and then, you know, they're saying, listen, I love you. If I didn't love you so much, I wouldn't get so upset. I was like, do you guys love each other? Like, I love you kind of gets thrown around very casually, I think, in a lot of friendships. And maybe you love each other now, but at the time of filming this, I wouldn't say you necessarily love each other. And like, that's totally fine. You kind of just met. (laughs) It's just like, I think that tensions run high when you're in a house with a lot of women and you specifically feel as though your personal space is being violated or your belongings aren't being respected. Like, totally get if that's an issue, but to say that the reason they were upset with one another was because of how much they care about each other. I'm just like, I'm sorry, a few months in, I'm not buying that. No. I mean, I don't know what their relationship was like before, but it certainly didn't seem like it would go to this place over the phone and the pool pushing if there is that much history there. And also not even history, just like the understanding of each other. If you're friends or you know each other so deeply you kind of can predict how someone will react. Of course, there's buttons you push or places you go where you haven't been before and it's fine to like get to know that side of a person. But if you like are that good of friends, like I know how you would react versus how Julie would react versus how other people would react to pushing you in the pool, taking your phone. Like you just you just kind of know your people. The thing with Jessel that that I find really interesting is that as the episodes go on both in the show, meaning the other cast members, but I think also as the audience, people are having more of an appreciation for her in terms of just kind of like her quirks. And I think if I'm her, the thing I would be navigating at the moment, and I don't know if she's fully aware of it, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, is they're very quick to kind of like come at her and laugh at her, yet also very down to laugh with her. And I think that if I'm her, I'm just trying to figure out at what times is this a laughing with me thing? And at what times is this a laughing at me thing? Right. I mean, I think she'll have a very different experience watching the show back than when she lived it. Like, I'm curious her attitude, the reunion, and also just like how the group paints her, because I think a lot of it is funny, but also like they definitely frame her as the butt of the joke. And like, I don't think she was aware of that. I don't really know. But yeah, they they definitely have very different reactions when it comes to Jessel. And like, I don't know. I just think she's an amazing housewife. Like there's a level of like cluelessness and lack of social cues and also just like zero fucks given that she has that is so perfect. I mean, did you see when Bryn and Tyler Cameron were on Watch What Happens Live the other day, Andy fully calls out Jessel because Jessel was supposed to be the guest that night, but called and said she had a conflict in her schedule or whatever. So they brought Bryn on, which like ended up being amazing with Tyler. But then when Jessel found out Tyler Cameron was going to be the guest with Bryn, she showed up and was sitting in the audience. <laughs> She's like, you know, I, I just, I just had to see it. Shameless, right? But that's that is the exact type of energy that I think is making her so interesting. A hundred percent. I mean, I literally love it. I just think she will be maybe not so happy watching the season back about I don't know things people say or how she's portrayed. But like, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ready to ready to get back to New York. I had fun in Anguilla, but they're losing me a little, and I'm. Looking forward to feeling reinvigorated. Anyway, I think that is all. I know not a hell of a lot this week. We kind of, you know, we're we're only as good as the episodes are. And I feel like this week we weren't overly enthused, but that's why there's always next week. Although (laughs) next week we are actually off. So we will be back the following week. We're off the week of the second and we will be back the week of... October 9th. Is there anything that I'm missing? No, I think that's it. Hopefully we'll have a lot to say. I'm sure we will. Okay. We love you guys. Thank you for listening and for letting us do this. And we'll be back in two weeks. 